from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the Friday edition of the program. And our phone number, if you want to give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. So this is uh, something I've been wanting to talk about for a few days. Uh, there's a lot of news today. There's plenty of things to talk about tonight. But we have uh, some some... News that is not so hard news, right? Some some interesting news that uh, we're seeing. Uh, obviously, everybody's in one way or another dealing with graduations. I know that graduations are um, plentiful this time of year. So this is why I um, was at a graduation a couple of days ago. And I mentioned it briefly on the air, but there, there are some graduation stories that I wanted to share with you guys before we jump into the, uh, the heavy stories of, of homelessness in America and how that's a crisis that's really masking another crisis, right? It's really a mental health crisis and uh, something we're not doing much to fix. There's also the conversation of what's going on with uh, President Biden and his meeting with Prime Minister Modi from India. So we're going to get to that as well. And of course, I want to talk about everything that's happening with yet another attack on green energy, right? Or I should say on gas stoves in the name of green energy. But first, I want to talk about the college graduate, right? There's a college graduate story. If you haven't seen this uh, viral video that's been going around for a couple of days, um, it, it, it struck a chord for me because, as you know, and I get criticized for this all the time, and whenever I get criticized for it, I do it a little bit more just to bother the critics. I always add that my last name is spelled with an S at the end um, because, you know, I just like it to be spelled correctly. I don't think that's too much to ask. Most people want their name spelled and, and pronounced correctly. So, you know, I, I sympathize in, you know, a little bit with this story. But no, I'm not going to go off the deep end just yet. But a college graduate uh, went up for her graduation, and I guess they, their system was flawed, right? They, instead of having the names uh, printed out, or I guess they had them printed out, but they didn't have a phonetic pronouncer uh, like we typically do in radio so that we don't screw up somebody's name when they come on the show. And the person giving the awards, one of the administrators, the college president, whoever it was, um, asked them to say their name. And then they go ahead and say it. So this young lady, her name was uh, Kadia Iman. She claims that she wasn't even through pronouncing her name when the woman just said her name and brought her up on the stage and mispronounced her name. So she became upset and uh, she went to, to take the microphone to correct her name. And it became a struggle over the microphone. And, and here are these two women going at it, struggling over this microphone. The student eventually wins. And well, rather than me tell you the story, I want you to hear the audio. Listen to this. Okay, go. Let's go. Let's go. You didn't let me get my moment, so I want to say my name is Kadijata Diallo, and I'm graduating today. I don't like how you snatched the mic out of my head, so 
Oh, drops the mic. Congratulations. And, and she threw the mic on the ground. And, and again, I, I don't condone any of that stuff. I think that was, you know, um, while good theatrics and great for, you know, making public relations, if, if that was her goal, uh, she, she definitely made the goal. But uh, I understand the feeling behind it, right? I don't, I don't condone what she did. But it, 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 it's, a, it's an interesting thing to watch. And when you watch it, you know, I can't help but think uh, some people are bothered more than others, right? You know, people call me Valdez with a Z and it's like, oh, whatever, it sounds the same. I get it. Uh, you know, I just tell them us with an S and I correct it. But it's not a huge deal. But what she claimed was that there were other students that had gone before her and they were given enough time to say their name, their major, um, other information like where they were going to school, just had more time and that she was rushed. And she also uh, claimed that she felt that it was being done because um, she was African-American. Now, I can understand people with a chip on their shoulder. And I only know this because I happen to be brown. Now, I can't say that I experience racism on a regular basis because I don't. But I also can't say that I've never experienced racism uh, because I think I have. Uh, I, I mean, I remember once um, having a, <coughs> excuse me, a large White Castle. If you don't know White Castle, it's a fast food place, makes small burgers. Uh, but I remember I went to a, a nightclub in Hoboken, New Jersey some years ago, and I, um, I parked part of my car, not the whole car, but part of my car on a yellow line that was part of a bus stop. So when I came back, I didn't realize that I had parked, you know, like the left side of the car uh, on that line, and I'd gotten a ticket. And I was upset with this ticket because I was like, oh, come on. I could barely see it. You're talking inches here that I'm touching this line. But I was like, whatever. So uh, being visibly upset, I take the ticket and I rip it up. And the cop that gave me the ticket saw me do that. So the cop comes over to me and says, you know, you got to pick up the, the ticket that you just ripped. And I was like, oh, I, I was intending to pick it up. I was just angry. And he said, otherwise, you'll get another ticket. And that one's like $350. And that's for uh, littering. And I said, yeah, no, listen, I got it. I, already, I don't need two tickets in one day, thanks. So, you know, I turn on my car, I get in the car, and I turn it around, and I'm, I'm on my way out, um, and the cop was trying to leave. So I said, all right, no, go ahead, you can go. And, uh, and he said, no, I have to stand here anyway. So, you know, he had gotten out of his car, and he was like, yeah, just, you know, make sure next time you come, don't, you know, it, there's a, it, the line might be faded, but it's still a yellow line, and it's a bus stop area, and you can't, um, whatever. I said, all right, no problem. So... At that moment, a bunch of kids who I could see, a few blonde kids, they drive by and really fast and they yell to me and my friends, you effing SPICs, while the cop is talking to me at my window. And I thought, wow, that's really in bad form and poor taste. And if the cop wasn't here, it'd be probably a different story. I just pointed at them. I said, wow, look at that. I said, I'm really, I'm, I'm batting a thousand here, right? I'm about to get a, t I got a ticket. You're telling me you're going to give me another ticket. And I've got uh, the welcome wagon over here. And um, again, I uh, was, what was I going to do? They, what happened though, is that they threw this, um, this White Castle uh, large size drink. They, I guess they tried to throw it at me or at the cop or at somebody. It missed all of us. And it, it hit like, you know, a few feet away from my car. But the cop was like, oh, whatever. And then he took off trying to go get them or whatever. But it was, it stood out for me. And I thought, wow, of all the things in the world that could have happened, that, that's what happened. So I know that, you know, racism exists. And even if it wasn't for the sake of race, although this was definitely a Hispanic slur, 
it, it was done to, to be stupid. Maybe they were drinking. After all, it was Hoboken and it was nighttime. But my point is, I, I've seen these things before. You know, most of the time I'm doing something professional. So I usually have a, a sport jacket on or I have whatever. But there's times where I just have on a pair of jeans and a hooded sweatshirt. And, I, you know, I'm bald. So uh, I, I tend to use the hood on the hooded sweatshirt, especially if it's a little breezy. And I can tell you the reception that I get from going places uh, when I'm dressed like that versus wearing a, a sport jacket or something. Two different receptions, right? No, nobody's uh, happy to see me when I have a hood on or, or a ball cap or something like that. So I, I can just tell you that that's what I've experienced in my life. And I don't know if it's because of race or if people just don't like people that wear ball caps and hooded sweatshirts. But I, I have a sense that a lot of people wear ball caps and hooded sweatshirts and don't always get treated differently. And I'm talking whether you go in a store or whatever and what have you. So, you know, these are things that I've personally experienced. So I realize that people can perceive things that they might feel is uh, racially motivated. And it's not necessarily racially motivated, but it might be, right? So, and I think that's what happened with this girl here. She uh, had a chip on her shoulder probably uh, from hearing her name mispronounced lots of different times. And in her head thinking, if my name were like Bethany or Betty Joe or something like that, that may not be as ethnically black, that it might be easier to pronounce. But that in and of itself is not a crime. And I, and I understand her angst. What I don't understand is why she grabbed the mic, fought with the teacher and made a show. Some are speculating it was to promote her OnlyFans account, which is an online um, subscription service, usually for adult content. So anyway, I wanted to share that as a setup to another story, but I'm going to save that story for a little later. So you're going to have to stick with me. And uh, we're going to continue our discussions tonight on lots of things, including everything that I mentioned before. So I don't want you to go anywhere. Thanks for bearing with me. My voice is a little bit hoarse, but we're going to uh, soldier on. Uh, straight ahead, there's a lot to come, so don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. The proposed efficiency standards are not a ban on gas stoves, again. The department does not want to, nor can it, ban gas stoves. The Biden-Harris administration has specifically stated that it is not in favor of banning gas stoves. Republicans are deliberately misrepresenting the facts and misrepresenting data, all while focusing on this made-up, what, this made-up war, let's call it that on gas stoves and ignoring far more pressing issues for Americans across the country. We're about saving lives. That's more important than the, what we're seeing about how comfortable it is to have a gas stove in the manner that we have them now. It's okay. New technology comes out, new information comes out. I think we should move forward with that. And we don't have to ban gas stoves to do it. All right. That is Cori uh, Bush. She's a congresswoman. That was her last month at a hearing saying the Biden administration is not in favor of banning gas stoves. 
And then if you listen through the staccato of her lengthy message, uh, basically she says, but we are in favor of new technology that could ultimately replace gas stoves. And uh, so they're not banning the gas, but they are. It's exactly what they want to do is replace these gas stoves. And it, it's just fascinating to me how, you know, it's, I don't want to tell you that we're banning gas stoves, but we're going to be banning gas stoves. So anyway, I was looking at AOL today, of all things. And uh, I see a, there's a new study out that finds more evidence that gas stoves are bad for human health, saying it's worse now than secondhand smoke. And I thought, this really can't be the case, right? I mean, how is it that we've lived all of our lives with gas stoves? At least I have my entire life. And while I might have a sore throat today and have a little bit of a cough because of allergies and whatnot, it's not my everyday uh, situation. So, I mean, we need to get with somebody who, who's definitely done the investigative uh, footwork on this. And that's why I wanted to speak with Kevin Stockland. He's an investigative reporter at the Epic Times. He's also a writer and a film producer and uh, has done some really interesting work on the 2008 uh, mortgage crisis. But Kevin Stockland, welcome to the program, sir. Thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure. Now, I know that you've um, you've covered gas stoves. Um, and and I'm wondering, with this article that I'm seeing today in this uh, apparent new study that says that gas stoves can raise the level of carcinogen benzene throughout the home. If, um, if this is something that is ultimately now going to lead to uh, a reinvigorated push to ban gas stoves. Well, it's very interesting the way that this administration is operating. What we're seeing now is, is kind of the third leg of the Green New Deal. So uh, first they went after the, the uh, fossil fuel producers, the oil companies, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they went after the uh, utilities to get them to switch to wind and solar. Now they're coming after the consumers. And uh, technically, at a federal level, she is correct. They're not banning anything. But what they are doing, and not just with gas stoves, with other appliances, uh, refrigerators, washer dryers, and also with cars, they are using federal agencies uh, to set regulatory and emissions and other standards so tight that manufacturers are being forced to take these products off the market. So what they're effectively doing is saying, we're not telling you can't buy these things. They're just not going to be available anymore. <laughs> yeah, I just, it's so duplicitous the way that it's presented. And um, from, from your understanding of it, do you feel, I know that they've made this push in New York and, and some other places. Is part of the strategy to ban it in certain states or at the statewide level so that they could say, look, at the federal level, we're not doing anything? Or is it, uh, are they all in to just go for the, um, the elimination of the production of these things? Well, they're, they're doing both at the same time. So in states, particularly California, New York, Washington, uh, states where they have um, really the Democrat trifecta control of Senates and houses and the governor's offices, they are doing outright bans. So they will be banning gas stoves. Massachusetts uh, has, is banning gas heating in homes. Um, and they've also banned uh, the sale of new internal combustion engine cars uh, within about the next seven years, depending on the state. Um, the federal level, they, they are not uh, as uh, explicit as that. As you say, they're, they're a little bit more duplicitous. And there they are just uh, putting this, the screws to manufacturers to force them effectively to, to take these products off the market. So it's really coming from both directions at the same time. California is an enormous market. So is New York. And so, you know, manufacturers are going to be beholden to that to some extent if they can't sell internal combustion engine cars or gas stoves or, or gas heating in those markets. Man, 
So, you know, I think it's just, it's, it's interesting when you look at a situation like this, where I, I think there's, there's a lot of fallout here. I mean, it's not just people's right or, or perceived right or, or desire to buy a gas stove, but moreover, I think it's the elimination of not only one industry, but probably a couple of industries as you start to produce these, you know, um, um, electric ranges and whatnot, which really don't work as well or the same. And I, I feel like it's not like everybody who works in the gas industry, if you ban, you know, gas sourced heating for homes and, and gas uh, cooking appliances, um, what happens to the gas people? What type of impact do you think overall, economically speaking, uh, something like this, if it were to take effect, would actually have? Well, uh, you know, manufacturers, for one, um, are are predicting a lot of damage uh, as a result of this. You know, car makers are certainly going to be hit very hard, um, but also appliance makers um, are going to be hit as well. And, you know, the manufacturers have just come out and, and protested. There were 131 manufacturing companies across the U.S., that said normally, you know, they are part of these conversations when new regulations get set, but they've been excluded from these. And they say it's such a deluge, uh, such an incredible amount of new regulation that's hitting them from all directions at once in this administration that uh, they say, uh, you know, a number of them, particularly the smaller ones, could just be put out of business by it. But the big picture, you know, that people need to kind of see with all of this is what they are doing is they are driving Americans towards ever, ever, ever heavier dependence on our electric grid. So the mm -hmm. stoves are electric, home heating is electric, cars are electric. And if you listen to anybody, even from the, um, the government themselves, the, the Federal um, Energy Regulatory Commission, um, you know, they are basically telling you the grid cannot handle this. So your average, your average EV um, uses about two and a half times as much energy or electricity, rather, as um, the home uh, heating and air conditioning unit in our homes. Now, as you know, the grid is basically set up to cover peak demand, and that's when it comes in the summer from air conditioning units. So you're talking about more than doubling that demand um, with cars. It's cars. Man. Kevin Stockton, no hang on right there. Just stand by for a moment. The music means we got to take a quick pause, and we're coming right back with Kevin Stockton. He's an investigative journalist with the Epic Times. We're discussing gas stoves and overall this huge push uh, with the Green New Deal. Don't go anywhere. There's a lot more to come straight ahead. Plus, some federal agencies are routinely spying on phone calls, texts, and emails. Wait till you hear this. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen.
at night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Uh, we're continuing our conversation with Kevin Stockland, investigative journalist at the Epic Times. And uh, he was just explaining to us how these increased costs are really going to hurt manufacturers. Kevin Stockland. Thanks for having me on. So let's pick up where you left off. And um, you were in the middle of a point when the music kicked in. But uh, you were making the case that the increased cost was uh, eventually, I guess, going to trickle down. Is that right? Well, um, the the bigger uh, issue is uh, how much uh, Americans are being driven by these regulations. Uh, yes, the manufacturers are being hurt, but uh, is, at the same time, Americans are being driven by these regulations to be more and more dependent on our electric grid. Um, so, you know, currently we have a, a diversity of, of power sources, right? We can drive our cars with gasoline. We can heat mm-hmm. our homes with gas. Oh, and we can use electricity for our, our computers or whatever. Uh, we are now being pushed into total dependence on the electric grid. And two things that Americans need to be aware of. First of all, the grid cannot handle this additional demand. But behind the scenes, also because of the Green New Deal, our grid is becoming increasingly unstable because we're becoming more dependent on wind and solar um, as they retire coal and gas-fired plants. And as we know, wind and solar are very weather dependent. And so uh, people are predicting, also in the federal government, regulators, et cetera, that rolling blackout could become the norm for American society, just as we're becoming more dependent on electricity. It's kind of like what we see in California with the brownouts and the rolling blackouts and even in other areas where there's a strained grid. Yes, uh, and maybe it could even be things that we see like in Iraq, where you wow. get power at certain hours or certain times of the year, and then otherwise you don't. Oh, yeah. I, I get my coffee every day at a small Cuban place, and this guy goes back to Cuba for two weeks every summer. And uh, the last trip he took, he told me, he said, you know, um, the island goes dark for like 24 hours or, or excuse me, 12 hours, like overnight every single day. And you can only have power at certain hours. And in certain cities, it was the craziest thing. I couldn't believe that's actually happening because you don't really hear about that. But he said, yeah, it's the regular, uh, it's the norm in Cuba. Yeah, and you can imagine, you know, if uh, some sort of a weather emergency were to hit and the power goes out and all you have is an EV, you're not going anywhere. So, you know, there's a lot more risk to this than, than just inconvenience. Absolutely. Now, this goes hand in hand with another topic that I know you've uh, 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 written about as well which is the environmental, um, what is that, sustainability, oh, ESG? The environmental, yes, the ESG, that's environmental, social, and governance. And that's it, social it's, and uh, governance. Yeah. Horrible, horrible so uh, social credit scoring system. Yes, well, what they've done is they've packaged together really all of the uh, progressive um, agendas. So the environmental is everything with climate change, social has to do with uh, the whole um, racial agenda, and then governance is, is pretty much how you control companies and things like this uh, through boards and, and whatnot. So um, this is a way that they've gotten the corporate sector aligned with the federal government. And as we're seeing now with things like surveillance and whatnot, they're able to use companies to do the things that the government can't legally do, like surveillance without a warrant, like censorship, censorship of speech and things like this. Now, I know you've written recently about um, how there's some shareholder votes that are showing support uh, for ESG, and it's actually failing, right? That people aren't as supportive. Is that right? 
Yeah, well, so what people need to understand about the ESG industry, this is being driven uh, by institutional asset managers. So currently, um, between 70 and 80 percent of all the shares in U.S. companies, they're not held by uh, us directly, even though it's our money. We buy through mutual funds, pension funds, index funds, whatever. And so there's a small list of asset managers whether that's big uh, companies like BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street, or California and New York pension funds, they get to vote the shares. They get to control those shares. And so they really are the ones who drive company policy. They get people on the board. They set corporate policy and all these things. And so they are you know, very able to put the agenda through, and they do. They, they've all signed on to pledges through these clubs like Climate Action 100 that they're going to take out the fossil fuel industry and push racial justice and all these things. One interesting thing that we have started to see mm-hmm. is there's now pushback coming against this. We're starting to see it. They're starting to see the results of all this, whether it's Disney or, or Bud Light or Target. Um, they're starting to see their bills go up, their food bills, their fuel bills, everything else. And so, um, and we're also seeing more people shedding light on what's going on behind the scenes in corporate boardrooms. And so for the first time we saw, um, these asset managers be a little less willing this year to support all the agenda items that come up for a vote than they were in previous years. I guess it's a step in the right direction because ESG seems like a step in the wrong direction. Folks, we're on with, uh, uh, investigative journalists from the Epic Times Kevin Stockland, and we're going to continue with him straight ahead. Uh, He's also got a piece on how the government spies on us from time to time, and nobody's the wiser for it. I want to get into that. Plus, your calls and more coming up after that. 833-4-VALDEZ. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Welcome back. Kevin Stockland is our guest, investigative reporter for the Epic Times. And um, our conversation is on what's going on with the government, what's going on with how they do what they do, how they justify what they do in the name of the Green New Deal, what they do in the name of ESG, uh, the environment, um, social uh, governance um, metrics, and, of course, how they now, in the name of whatever they feel like, um, federal agencies routinely spy on phone calls, text messages, and emails of American citizens, according to experts. Kevin Stockland, tell us about it. 
Yeah, uh, well, the federal government is, is very curious about us and our, our habits and our everyday behavior. And uh, two, two major things uh, happened this year. Um, one, we have something called the uh, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, and this has its roots uh, in uh, the September 11th event and efforts by the federal government to combat uh, foreign terrorism. Um, but this this um, this provision called FISA, uh, Section 702, basically granted intelligence agencies the authority to spy on foreign nationals uh, because they were fighting terrorism. Um, that uh, provision was was passed with a sunset clause, and it has to be reauthorized in December. So Congress is debating whether or not to renew this authorization. Um, at the same time, because we now have a GOP majority in the House, they are holding quite a number of hearings. And what they seem to be finding out, what appears to be happening, is there are all sorts of revelations of abuse of these laws yeah. that um, federal agencies and uh, law enforcement, FBI, DOJ, etc., are using these provisions uh, not to spy on foreigners or in addition to spying on foreigners to spy on American citizens. And Most notably, we saw them spy on a president and a whole presidential campaign. Yes, absolutely. That is the most high-profile case, but, you know, this seems to be uh, drilling down to your average American as well. Wow. And the, the issue here is that our, our, the Fourth Amendment of our Constitution uh, mm -hmm. guarantees us or protects us from search and seizure without a warrant, without probable cause that a crime has been committed. So the government doesn't have the right to just suit, you know, scan through and sort through all this data trying to see, hey, has anybody committed a crime? Um, so they're using the provisions of this law that was supposed to be an exception for foreign terrorism to spy on everyday Americans. And the latest revelation that's come out, uh, the, the uh, GOP House uh, forced the government to de declassify a document, and it turns out that our intelligence agencies are using data brokers. These are private companies, and what they do is they're able to go through uh, information that companies may have on us and collect this, and then they turn it over to the government. So this could be your cell phone communication. It could be your text messages. It could be your activity on Facebook, um, things like this. So it just came to light that they are now using data brokers to collect this information on Americans. Now, this sounds like a backdoor approach, obviously, if they're going to, and we saw this with the Twitter files, where they would go to Twitter and, and take a look at your personal uh, geo data and uh, find out lots of things that they could normally not find out if it weren't for getting a warrant. And is this warrantless backdoor something that, uh, a, a loophole, I guess, that we can foresee being closed? Or uh, should we just expect that they're just going to buy our information rather than get a warrant for it? Well, legal, a lot of the legal justification for this goes back to something called the Bank Secrecy Act. And this is the provision that um, basically forces banks to collect data on all transactions above $10,000. And this was originally passed in the 70s to fight money laundering that the mafia was doing and things like this. Um, and this went all the way up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ruled on something called the third-party doctrine. And they basically said when people hand over their personal information to a third party, like a bank or a phone company, you lose your privacy rights under the Constitution. 
Um, but we're in a different world from the 1970s today. We have, you know, smart technology, smart security systems. We have our phones. Um, and so all of this private data that companies should be keeping secure and private um, is much more intrusive than it would have been, you know, back 50 years ago. And so the hope is that a case may make its way to the Supreme Court on this issue and everything that's going on now with FISA and with you know the, these allegations of, of abuse by uh, intelligence agencies um, may prompt a case that goes up to the Supreme Court. And the hope is that this Supreme Court today will look at it and say, no, the, the, the third party doctrine does, in fact, violate the Fourth Amendment and Americans need to have some privacy and some rights to their, their personal information. Right. Otherwise, there's no check and balance on the government and there's no privacy for the citizen. It makes a lot of sense to me. Folks, Kevin Stockland is our guest, and uh, he's an investigative reporter with the Epic Times. He's also a film producer. He produced um, We All Fall Down, The American Mortgage Crisis, a documentary back in 2008. And um, we've had him on before discussing the shadow state and other things. Kevin Stockland, uh, what are some of the projects that you're working on now? Are you doing any film? Uh, well, the latest was The Shadow State, and we just finished that one. And that's now available. You can see that at theshadowstate.com, and it's free to all Epoch Times subscribers. So uh, theepochtimes.com, you can read uh, my reports and you can uh, stream that for free. It's also available now on DVD. Um, and what I've been focusing on is also uh, doing a lot of reporting and writing on that subject on ESG, on uh, you know the power grid and the power industry, and uh, all of these issues that have to do with uh, preserving our, our constitutional rights. Now, if folks want to read some of your writings, uh, obviously they can go to theshadowstate.com for the film uh, or to theepictimes.com for, um, for your reports. But is there any other website or uh, social media handle where they can follow you? Um, at this point, that, that's your best bet. All right. Well, folks, Kevin Stockland, uh, again, investigative reporter for the Epic Times and uh, all-around great guy. Knows his stuff. I'm glad you're here with us tonight. Uh, check him out at theepictimes.com or at theshadowstate.com. Kevin, have a great weekend. We appreciate it. You too. Nice talking to you. Likewise. All right, America. There is more to come straight ahead. Who's the biggest culprit from this, uh, or I should say, who's inspiring this ESG nonsense? Well, Xi Jinping and the rest of these guys that believe in capitalism and communism at the same time. We're going to talk about China uh, in, at the top of the next hour, so stick with us on that. Plus, we're going to get to your calls and more, and I'll finish that story about the uh, graduation uh, I, I wanted to get to. It's, a, it's an interesting story, and I want your, your uh, feedback on it as well. So don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. And uh, despite my raspy voice, we're taking calls and we are live. Let's go to Charleston, West Virginia, WCHS. Tommy, go right ahead. Uh, good evening, Mr. Valdez. Thank you for the opportunity. Sir, how are you? Uh, I, I understand you're going to talk about China a little bit. Let me tie that into lithium. I, sure. uh, you spoke to the gentleman uh, last hour about lithium a little bit. Uh, 
Lithium is a very rare mineral and uh, metal, and it is, uh, I think the Congo in Africa is one of the great, as in the top source. Mm-hmm. And China has worked out some kind of an agreement with them to get a lot of, do a lot of mining. We're going to end up having to dive, uh, go down into the ocean floor in places, similar to the way they go for oil here and there, to get lithium. And that poses a whole other uh, bag of uh, questions for the environmentalists. The idea that we're going to go to an electric fleet of right. vehicles here in America or planet Earth in the near future is ludicrous. They're, they're rushing into this with their eyes wide shut. Uh, the lithium battery, by the way, you want to change your battery in your car tomorrow, Mr. Valdez? Go ahead. You and I could do it, and I'm an old man. Try it with a <laughs> lithium battery. You need a forklift. These things yeah, you know, it's funny, not to interrupt, but just to add, there was a story we covered not too long ago. Um, there was a, a garage collapse in Manhattan, and they said that it happened because there was a bunch of electric vehicles there, and those cars weigh a ton more than regular cars. Uh, yeah, and when the bigger the vehicle, SUV, pickup truck, the bigger the battery. The other thing is, I don't know if they are more prone to fires than... Uh, other battery, you know, the conventional battery, but when you got a lithium battery fire, it could take like ten thousand gallons of water to put it out. The car will burst into flames once you put it up on the after it's been out for an hour. There's a outfit, uh, a government operation in the state of Maryland, where they are expert. They teach people, other firemen, how to deal with lithium fires, and there's very very few of them. Uh, those in in the country, they're doing it in Maryland. Uh, mm. The other thing about lithium, uh, if you think that it's not dangerous or volatile almost inherently, why don't they fly it on airplanes? They don't <laughs> want it. Good point. They, they take it in a ship or a railroad car or a truck. They don't want to put it on an airplane. For, for transport, that's part because it's so heavy and part because of the, the fire issue. Uh, thank you for all this time. I appreciate it. Yeah, you know what? It's, it's I appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to speak with somebody in West Virginia who sounds like you grew up down the block from me. So I appreciate that, Tommy. Bye-bye. <laughs> Take care, man. All right, folks, there is more to come straight ahead. And, yeah, it, it's true. This uh, lithium-ion stuff um, is... Uh, it's interesting, and something Tommy said was interesting that China's worked out a deal. He put it very nicely. Yeah, they've pretty much monopolized this years ago, and it's part of their unrestricted warfare here, this mon- monopolistic tactic that they use with cornering the market, including our medication, right? So you're talking about people dying of fentanyl. Uh, they call them overdoses, but they're really poisonings because people don't know if they're taking real pills or fake pills. And granted, if you buy it at you know your local pharmacy, you're probably um, getting the real stuff. But uh, unfortunately, there's... There's a bunch of um, artificial counterfeit p- pills that are all over the market. Anyway, that's just a, uh, one more thing that I wanted to add. We're going to continue our conversation on China with General Anthony Tata. He's coming up next. And I wanted to get to my story about the graduation, not the story that I told before about the young lady in New York that stole the mic from the professor and uh, then threw it on the floor when she was done, but my own story about my kid and her graduation. I've got a story there that I want to share with you. So I guess I'm going to have to wait a little bit because I need a little time to work through it, but 
hopefully you guys will stick with me uh, through hour number two and into hour number three, because Open Phone America starts in hour number three. But right now we're about to kick off hour number two. Thank you for putting up with my uh, sore throat. And uh, we're going to continue this conversation straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. 833, the number 4, Valdez, my last name. Or at Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media. I will be checking that uh, in a little bit. And we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. And it's my pleasure to be here with you on this Friday night, keeping you company till 1 a.m. Eastern time. And our phone number I gave you, let me give you the social media handles, at Rich Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez. I check that periodically so that we can uh, keep in touch and continue the conversation there as well. Now, I want to get into a couple of things. We were just talking about ESG and how the the big push for the Green New Deal benefits um, China and, and other places, but really China is really one of the the, the main uh, culprits here that that seems to have a lot to um, to gain, and there are others, right? There's also India, and we saw President Biden meeting with uh, Prime Minister Modi from India. Uh, just this week. And we have a clip of audio from that. Uh, let me see. Which one do I want? There's a couple. Um, let's go with the first one. Listen to this. Prime Minister and I had a good discussion about democratic values. And uh, and there is a there is the uh, that's the nature of our relationship. We're straightforward with each other and uh, and we respect each other. Now, Biden says they respect each other. And I think that's a, a clever thing to say, because, you know, um, I wouldn't say that I like the guy, right, being one of the biggest polluters and they're willing to sell you out in a heartbeat. But you have to have a certain cordiality, right, with these um, with with these world leaders. And it's kind of like when people would used to criticize President Trump for saying that, you know, he respected President Xi or he thought he was a, a very smart man. Uh, it, you, you have to play ball, right, in my, in my best estimation. But so I want to get into that visit and uh, the role that that plays in the geopolitical sphere as well as what's going on with China as well. And our guest, to help us get to the bottom of things here, uh, retired Brigadier General Anthony Tata from the U.S. Army. Welcome, sir. Hey, Rich. Great to be with you. It's always a pleasure. And, folks, you might remember we've had uh, Anthony Tata on before. General Tata wrote the book Total Empire, a Garrett Sinclair novel. And we'll talk a little bit uh, about that again um, in the second segment. But right now I want to jump into getting your thoughts on Modi's visit uh, with President Biden. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I, I think, Rich, that uh, India is a strategic partner for us. They're so critical in uh, having some kind of balance of power with China in that part of the world. Uh, geopolitically, they've got 
along the border with China, and there's a lot of tension up there in those that mountainous region. Uh, plus, they're uh, the dominant gene in the Indian Ocean in the south, and China is trying to push down through the Malacca Strait uh, uh, north of Indonesia there through uh, in the Maldives and, and up into the uh, you know, western parts of the Indian Ocean. And, and in, India is a big factor there. Uh, when I performed the duties as Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, I uh, had many conversations uh, with, with uh, counterparts in India in that part of the world. And, and certainly my East Asia team worked tirelessly to uh, try to get uh, 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 major defense deals with India. Uh, the, the more that we can partner with them, uh, the, the, the better. And so I think it's a good thing that the administration is uh, having conversations with India. And plus, so not it's not only about countering China, that's probably the most important strategic geopolitical aspect to it, but they're a huge trade partner as well. They're the largest uh, uh, nation in the world. Uh, they're fastest growing. And, and certainly, I don't know if they qualify as a democracy anymore technically, but we'll call them one. And, and, and certainly the more that we can try to influence democratic values, which uh, goes hand in hand with capitalism and free markets, the better, because that gives that opens up a massive trading partner uh, with with the United States. And the more that U.S. businesses can engage Indian businesses, uh, that's better for our middle class, better for our small businesses uh, in the United States. So uh, really two two things going on here from from my point of view as a former DOD official and retired Army uh, senior leader, uh, it's the countering China and deterring China. And then as a businessman myself today, uh, being able to uh, tap into those markets and have trading partners. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and I think uh, to me, they're, they're almost one in the same. Right. Uh, just to, to kind of echo what you said. And I'm not um, any of the things that you mentioned. You have an impressive uh, resume. And all I know is, I, you know, I read the news and I look at this and I think if we don't play ball with India, then they're clearly going to feel like they can play ball with anybody they want, including China. Right. And if, right. if China's at, at their beck and call saying, hey, well, either, you know, whether it's through coercion or through uh, bribery, one or the other, and we're not doing our own version of bribery, a.k.a. Um, diplomacy, saying, hey, look, we'll do trade with you. You can make millions of dollars, American dollars. Right. And I've always felt that's the crux of so much of our foreign policy is if we let them in on the dollar trade, they become our friend for the most part, unless they absolutely hate us. And I know that's a very um, simplistic way of looking at it, but it seems to be what kind of rules the roost. Am I onto something or do you think I'm, I'm out of here? You're, you're absolutely on, on to sometimes the simplest uh, uh, path is the best path. Right. And and certainly uh, engaging India. Uh, making them in some way a strategic partner, uh, perhaps even an ally in the future. Uh, we can then get them leaning at least 51% in our direction uh, instead of China's direction. And and they have real conflict with China in their in the northeast part of of their border. And so uh, they they are interested in the United States. And, and our ability to influence and counter China um, hand in hand with them. 
And I wouldn't make too much of that because obviously they're neighbors with China. There's there's a lot of back and forth uh, from a trade standpoint with China uh, between India. And so I, I think that uh, there's there's um, uh, goodness in engaging India uh, uh, for the two reasons that you and I are talking about. And uh, but it's it's real politic, right? It's it's uh, you know what is in the best interest of the United States. There's no uh, real humanitarian angle here. There's no real utopian uh, nirvana kind of thing happening. It's what's in the best interest of the United States. What are our vital interests? Our national defense strategy says China's our number one uh, competitor, and so we can leverage a relationship with India to enhance our national defense strategy. That That is a real uh, bare-bones bottom line. Now, if President Biden is um, smart enough to ask for your advice, where do you see the biggest opportunity uh, to, to build on both of those areas, uh, should you give them advice? Yeah, so what um, I, I, I think their uh, Secretary Austin is engaging the MOD there, the Ministry of Defense, um, and I would say do more of that and and sign whatever defense deals that we can lock them down on. Uh, I know that they're engaging U.S. Um, uh, defense companies and uh, for equipment, the more that we can get their our equipment in their hands, um, it keeps them away from sort of the China Russia uh, models of equipment. And and so I would I would uh, that's a huge market there, and for our military industrial complex, which you know seems to be thriving right now, right? And yeah. and so. Um, uh, I, I would advise the president to uh, continue to diplomatically engage uh, India in efforts to deter China and and to supply them uh, from a foreign military sales perspective as, as many arms uh, that are NATO variants as we can. Uh, and and that uh, the more they look like us, the more they act like us, uh, uh, lots of training uh, missions, uh, joint exercises, all the things. So we have a lot of tools in the in the kit bag uh, from a military perspective uh, to avoid war. We can employ and deploy uh, soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines in that region and do joint exercises with the Indian military. We already do exchanges with Indian military officers in our schools uh, so that they, they see uh, what what our military, professional military education system is like. And, and all of those things are good things that are happening uh, between the United States and India. And I would say just continue to do more. Now they have five or six major corporations there. And, and I might, uh, if, if we had a, you know, I used to go to the deputies meetings there and I'm, um, uh, when I was the under and, and, and I might, uh, you know, uh, work with my treasury and commerce peers and say, look, let's put together a, a team to engage these major corporations in India and see if we can't enhance trade and, and begin those kinds of bilateral ties also uh, and, and, and work our small businesses, our private military contractors, our, 
our, our manufacturers and all of that into um, the picture to help uh, help them sell to India. And, and, and that way you just continue to strengthen and you don't have a single point of failure. Uh, so military, commerce, uh, uh, you know, uh, two-step. Yeah. And, you know, General, it's interesting. So many people would say, well, that's part of the problem that we continue to feed the military industrial complex. And, and my counter, and it's not that I'm pro the, this, um, you know, uh, Raytheon or any of these people. It's just that I realize there's a way that this game is played. And, and that's a key uh, factor of how you play this game. If, if you don't have the military, military industrial complex, uh, you don't have to go to war, but you, everybody has to be able to defend themselves and everybody wants their gun, right? So, you know, if everybody has a gun, less people are using guns. At least this is my, again, rudimentary philosophy. So I think it's, it's important to allow that trade because there's always, you know, criticism of selling to the Saudis and selling to this one. But ultimately, this is the currency that we trade in when you are the United States. True or false? True. Uh, remember, Reagan said peace through strength. Right. Uh, uh, Teddy Roosevelt said, uh, speak softly, carry a big stick. That big stick was the Navy uh, in his mind. So, uh, yeah, um, you can you can just be super humble, but have a big aircraft carrier off the coast and say, right. "Look, you know, let's talk." And and you know, I know when I was the deputy commanding general in Afghanistan, I was all over that country, and I would be negotiating deals to build a runway or something. And those negotiations went a lot better when I had a tank platoon behind me and an Apache helicopter above me. <laughs> And I was right. standing on the ground talking to the Afghan businessman. Strength matters, right? It's, that's absolutely. the way the world is. So, yeah, you're absolutely right, Rich. Yeah. All right, folks, we're on with uh, Brigadier General Anthony Tata, U.S. Army, retired. We're going to continue our conversation with him. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Welcome back. And I want to switch gears and go over to Europe because, you know, for, for months there's there's been all of this talk. Right. And I've been critical. I've been critical of many who uh, I've called pro Putin patriots. Right. They love America, but they love Putin, too. And I just I for whatever it is, I cannot get into Putin. And of course, the criticism comes back on me saying that I'm a Nazi lover. I'm not a Nazi lover. I, I just think that Ukraine has a right to defend itself and Russia should stop trying to encroach. That's my personal opinion. And I'm sticking with it. And uh, I, I also feel that uh, Putin is just not a good guy, in my opinion, not a good guy. And I don't, that doesn't mean that there's a false equivalency here, right? doesn't mean I'm saying Zelensky's a great guy. I'm not saying that either. You know, I'm just saying th this is a, a tough situation, and I think you got to look at it as such. And one thing I do know, in so much as I know uh, from my uh, ob observations of this, is that there was the, um, was it the Budapest Memorandum of Security Assurances that said that we were going to defend Ukraine if they gave up their nukes, which is probably the silliest thing that they ever did. But anyway, 
Um, I think, you know, if you're the United States, you've got to stand by that. You can't just say, hey, give up your, your weapons. And then, hey, by the way, we're going to sell you out to dry when Putin comes knocking at your door. So there's been a lot of back and forth on this. And then comes the Wagner group. Right. And, and they're there's a the Nazi group and there's this and there's that. And there's all sorts of crazy. And now they were working with the Russians and now they're working against the Russians. A whole lot of crazy stuff is happening. General Anthony Tata, uh, former undersecretary for policy, DOD. Welcome back. Help us make sense of all of this. Yeah, so Rich, uh, you know, what we have going on right now is Wagner um, apparently, um, if it's not some massive information operation, which is entirely possible, uh, right. turning its guns on the Russian army headquarters uh, because the Russian uh, army and military supposedly um, uh, did a few bombing runs on Wagner positions in Ukraine. And so now, let me just ask, uh, why would you hire mercenaries and then bomb them? <laughs> well, a, it could have been a legit mistake because fratricide happens all the time. Mm. B, Prigozhin has been very, the, the, the head of Wagner um, has been very uh, critical of uh, the uh, Russian army chain of command. They didn't get uh, supplies to his troops, uh, he, he, you know, uh, Wagner is probably 50,000 troops, right? Uh, it's it's a private army that's the size uh, bigger than most countries' armies, and and so he's. This is not just some band of, uh, you know, Blackwater employees riding around in a Humvee or or an SUV. This is this is a legit army, and so when you think about it, uh, they they're. they're uh, they're the a major force in the northern part of the front uh, with uh, in this fight with Ukraine, and so when when the you know air to ground coordination is always challenging, where you know the pilots knowing where the front lines are. Um, uh, so when, whenever I hear these these stories, because mm -hmm. I've seen it in combat, you know. It could be it could be a legit mistake the pilot made, and and it could be fratricide, or it could be uh, spiteful Russian generals back in Moscow, you know, eating donuts and 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 laughing and saying, yeah, you know, take out Prigozhin and wow. and these Wagner Wagner guys, um, and I suspect that Wagner and Prigozhin have some intel because he's. He's marching on Moscow right now. If you believe everything that we're seeing, and right? If you one the of the things I think we've always all learned, Rich, is you know the first report is always wrong. Uh, let's yeah, wait, wait and see uh, mm -hmm. what's happening. And uh, but it's an interesting development in in this whole scenario because remember, 18 months ago, people were saying you know the the billionaires are going to take out. Um, uh, Putin. And so right, maybe, maybe that's happening. Yeah, right. right. Exactly. Who knows what's going on? General, thank you for being with us. Folks, follow him at AJ Tata, T-A-T-A on Twitter. And General, I want to thank you for being with us. It's always a pleasure. I appreciate your analysis. Godspeed, sir. Yeah, thank you, Rich. You bet. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to discuss, well, I'll tell you when we get there.
night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Richie V here with you. And uh, I want to talk about something crazy. There's this, um, this statistic I was just looking at during the break. Listen to this. California accounts for 13% of the United States population. So 13% of Americans live in California. Yet, when it comes to homeless people, it accounts for 33%. A third of all homelessness comes out of California. Now, I think this is absolutely insane. But it's a problem. Now, you add to the fact that the homeless problem isn't really even a homeless problem. It's a mental health problem. And now we've got a really big conundrum. So I want to get to the bottom of this and to discuss this phantom national homeless crisis with Lawrence McQuillan. I hope I said that right. Senior fellow at and uh, director at the Center for Entrepreneurial Innovation. Welcome, sir. Nice to be with you, Rich. Likewise. Now, this is um, something I didn't know anything about. About a year ago, I spoke with somebody who was a former head of the Department of Homeless Services for, um, I think it was the city of New York, and it was a staggering conversation that I had because I had no idea how how in-depth this problem was. Um, And then when I see a, a statistic like the one I just saw, I said, oh, my gosh, this is like a really, really big problem. Um, let's talk about this a little bit, right? Because I think this is, a, a big problem that's a overlooked and B not being treated. Yeah. Well, another statistic that you didn't mention that, that really points to the problem in California is that half of all unsheltered homeless in America are in California. Um, wow. as you mentioned, you know, 33% of homeless overall, but half of all unsheltered homeless that live on the streets and sidewalks and parks and that sort of thing are in California. So California truly is the epicenter of this problem in America. Seven of the 11 cities with the greatest number of homeless people are all in California. Seven of 11. So it really is a concentrated problem. Say again? Are the rest of them in New York? (laughs) Yeah, a lot of them are in New York. Um, Seattle, San Jose. Oh, yeah, Seattle, sure. Um, Phoenix has a big problem. Um, even Metropolitan Denver also is up there near the top of the list. Um, so, Is that a new problem yeah, in Metropolitan Denver, or is it a, a decades-old problem? No, I think most of these are decades-old but growing, so mm-hmm. they may have started out as a fairly manageable problem, um, which it is in most parts of the country. I mean, they'll they'll have... Um, for example, uh, there's the, the Department of Housing and Urban Development divides the country into 387 what they call continuums of care, where they coordinate care uh, regionally. And of those 387, um, about two-thirds have fewer than 1,000 homeless, and 84% of these have uh, fewer than 2,000 homeless. So in more, most parts of the country... It's a very manageable problem, but there's these pockets of, of just explosive growth and homelessness where they take over vast parts of the city, entire neighborhoods, and they become, you know, basically unlivable for other people. And that's really where you see, you know, huge concentrations. And so I, I don't call it really a national crisis, but it certainly is a, a, a regional or local crisis in some of these cities. 
Yeah, well, it seems like um, at least if nothing else, it's a statewide crisis in California. So let's talk yeah. about um, why they're missing the mark here. What did they do? I know in New York City, for example, there were certain mayoral administrations that had a focus on mental health and then others that, you know, provided lip service on mental health. But what ended up happening was they they closed down and didn't provide any funding for mental health facilities. And what ended up happening was that there were a limited number of shelters and those began to dwindle and there was no care for those that were schizophrenic. So it just it became a bigger and bigger problem. And voila, here you are. Is is that similar to what's happening in California? Or is it something totally different? No, it, it's similar. I mean, what the problem is, is that um, California and other other cities where you've seen this explosive growth of homelessness is that they really misdiagnosed the problem as one of insufficient housing. So they pour billions and billions of dollars into trying to provide a permanent roof over every homeless person's head. And it's really a fool's errand because, number one, it's too expensive. You just can't do it, especially in California, where it's so expensive to build anything. And then number two is that these, even if you provide a roof over somebody's head, it's usually temporary because they just cycle in and out of these these housing situations because you haven't dealt with the underlying cause of their problem, which, as you mentioned, is mental uh, health problems or substance abuse problems. So until you, uh, you know, go after those core root causes of homelessness, you're never going to actually put it, put a, uh, a slow this problem down. And, and that's what we're seeing in California is that, um, you know, they're misdiagnosing it. They're pouring way too many, right. much money in housing, not enough into treatment and other facilities for mental health care and as a result um you know people are are, are going there um but there's other reasons too in that california is subsidizing the problem by um many of the cities pay uh homeless people uh, for example in san francisco if you live there just one month you qualify for up to one thousand dollars a month of of cash assistance in san francisco so it becomes so it's you know incentivizing homelessness yeah, exactly. It's, you're, you're subsidizing counterproductive behavior because a lot of times that money is used to buy drugs and alcohol. So it's really, you're, you're becoming a magnet for the problem. So you're drawing people to the area. Um, and then you're also just allowing, in San Francisco's case, in Los Angeles too, uh, the people to live their lifestyle wherever they want, you know, on sidewalks and alleys and in parks. Um, so you're not, you're not, confining them to certain uh, areas where they can access the care and treatment right. that they need. Um, and they make some of these neighborhoods just unlivable for regular folk. It's horrible. Folks, we're on with Lawrence McQuillan. He's a senior fellow and director of the Center on Entrepreneurial Innovation. Uh, we're going to get to your calls and more with him straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're discussing the homelessness crisis in California and how that spills over into other states and how each, uh, every other respective state has their own issue. Our guest is Lawrence McQuillan. He's a senior fellow and director at the Center for Entrepreneurial Innovation. And uh, th- this is an interesting conversation because uh, I think you hit the nail on the head, uh, Lawrence, when you said that they've misdiagnosed the problem and they're throwing money at housing, which is expensive enough in California, and they should really be throwing it at mental health. Let's pick up where you left off. Right. I mean, that's absolutely true because, I mean, the root causes of the problem are, are people that have untreated personal trauma that manifests itself in, in mental health issues and substance abuse issues. And as a result, um, if you don't go after those problems, uh, they, you know, you're never going to get a handle on the situation. And if you subsidize the problem and, and make your city a magnet for, for people to come there, um, that's also going to exacerbate the problem because you're never going to get a handle on and get ahead of it. So, um, so the, one of the programs that I particularly like is, is one in San Antonio, Texas, called Haven for Hope, which opened in 2010. And it's, um, it's really a one-stop shop for where people can be uh, taken to in order to get treatment or at least get them off the streets to a safer situation that's a more dignified living situation. But um, it, it's a campus-style facility. Um, it, it has, like, one portal, one entry point where you, you know, they, they take down uh, your, your information and they immediately know how to connect you with services if you want to. Um, there's a low barrier emergency shelter that where anybody can go and stay there. Um, you know, they have meals, showers, toilets, laundry facility, medical care, that sort of thing. Everybody is welcome there. And then if you're ever ready to, to enter treatment, you, know, you just knock on the door, or ring the bell, and um, you can immediately be um, partnered with all of these great organizations that are there right on site um, that can provide, you know, either substance abuse treatment or mental health treatment for you. Um, And, um, you know, and there's a real ladder set up of not only services, but also housing. So as you progress through the treatment and become, you know, more self-sufficient and independent, you know, your housing options become better. Um, So it's a fabulous program. It's really um, reduced um, homelessness in, in San Antonio. For example, since it opened, um, yeah. homelessness in San Antonio went down about 11 percent, whereas in oh, San Francisco, it, it, it exploded by 80 percent. Whoa. Well, I want to pause right there really quick, Lawrence, and I want to go to uh, Maggie. She's a caller calling in from Nevada City, California on KNCO. Uh, Maggie, welcome. You're on with Lawrence McQuillan and Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Good evening, you guys. So I'm calling in um, regarding uh, your caller discussing homelessness and how um, it's all a mental health problem or a drug problem. Do you disagree? And Oh, absolutely. From my perspective... From my perspective, it's 100% propaganda. So you're saying that there are no homeless people? No, what I'm saying is the only reason 
you guys are getting away with saying it's a mental health issue or a drug issue is because those are the homeless people you see. Okay? The homeless people you don't notice are the people like me. Tell us about it. I have been homeless for five years and eight months now. I'm sorry. Oh, me too, honey. And it's because I'm a senior citizen on Social Security and for no other reason. My Social Security check is not enough to cover rent on even a studio apartment. Okay, and then... So it's financial. I have to pay utilities... You're saying you're being priced out of the market in California. I am 100% priced, not just in California, because I believe life is an intelligence test. So I have searched everywhere. And there really is almost nowhere in the country that I can afford rent, utilities, and groceries. On your current Social Security income? On my current Social Security benefits. Right. And I'm sure that's, that's an issue for a lot of seniors. I know, listen, my dad wasn't homeless, thank God. But he, um, he, he uh, at, in his final years, he had a little bit of money in the bank, but he didn't have any other um, pension uh, besides Social Security. He did, but it, it, it ran out. And then eventually when he passed away, they sent him a, a bunch of money that, uh, said, oh, we forgot to send you this. But, but my point is um, he was in that boat and he lived a very, very uh, fixed income kind of lifestyle. And of course I was with him, you know, till the very end. But I realize if you don't have family and you don't have that support system, it could be very, very challenging. So I definitely empathize with where you're coming from. And, and, and I think uh, you raise an interesting point that there is a real issue with the cost of housing uh, in certain areas that contributes to it. I don't know what percentage, but it makes a lot of sense to me. Thank you, Maggie, for your call. I appreciate it. I want to give Lawrence McKillen a couple of minutes uh, before we take our break uh, to respond. Well, I think, um, you know, point well taken that there are people in situations where it, it, there, there are programs that try to relocate people to areas of the country where they um, where their you know, cost of living is much less and they can live on the income that they have. There's also I mean, there's food stamps, there's general assistance that people can look into, um, as well as Social Security and uh, disability benefits. So um, so I would you know, just encourage people to to. Uh, Think about, you know, if you can't afford the area you live in, to think about, you know, reconnecting with family or friends in other locations of the country where it would be, um, you know, a better fit for you given your income and the cost of living. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense and probably easier said than done. Thank you, Maggie, for your call. Thank you, Lawrence. Stick around. We're coming right back. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Now, 
or Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, welcome back. And again, I want to thank Maggie uh, from uh, KNCO in California for calling in and sharing uh, her story. Uh, it, was a, it was a moving story, and it really adds a lot of context and a lot of um, uh, humanity to, to what we're discussing, which can sometimes fall flat, right? You talk about things, and it's just numbers and statistics, and we, real, we don't realize or we forget that these are people. At least, you know, sometimes I think I can forget. Maybe uh, the rest of us don't, but uh, I know I, I am fallible that way. Our guest is Lawrence McQuillan, senior fellow at the Independent Institute, author of California Dreaming. Lawrence uh, we have about a minute and a half to go. I want you to let everybody know uh, your final thoughts and how they could uh, keep up to speed with the work that you do at the Independent Institute. Well, I think that was a very important point you made there at the end. I mean, just one case of homelessness is one case too many. Um, it's tragic and it's complicated. And everybody has a unique uh, story and situation in terms of how they mm-hmm. got into experiencing homelessness. So, um, I think it's important that we have a very, you know, customized, personalized approach to dealing with each individual. And that's what, you know, places like Haven for Hope and San Antonio do so well. I mean, they really individualize the care for each um, person. Um, but in terms of finding our research, it's on, uh, especially on homelessness, it's on uh, independent.org. And we have a study called Beyond Homeless and also a documentary um, with the same t- title, I believe, that's also on homelessness. It's a short, like, 30-minute documentary for people to watch and get informed about the situation not only in San Francisco, but the, the great hope at, in San Antonio with their, their pro- uh, program there. So, um, so independent.org is where you can reach me and, and, and also our research and work on homelessness. Outstanding. Well, I want to thank you. We're going to continue our discussion on homelessness. Uh, Lawrence McQuillan, I want to thank you. At this point, we're going to... Uh, switch gears to our open phone segment, but Godspeed to you. Keep up the great work, and we appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much, Rich. Yes, sir. You bet. All right, folks, I see the calls are lining up. Lots of people want to weigh in on this topic of homelessness, and I think it's important, and I'm glad so many people care. Uh, so we're going to do that, 833-4-VALDEZ. We'll take, uh, let me see, I'm going to get to one call uh, before we're able to um, to take our pause. Let's go to Steve in Atlanta, Georgia, WGKA. Steve, go right ahead. Hey, Rich, thanks for taking my call. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Um, so I'm going to get in touch with this guy. Uh, Mr. How do you spell his last name? Mc, McQuillan? McQuillan. When, when, you, when, you, when you're off, don't hang up. Okay. And, G-U-I-L-L-I-N. Uh, count okay, the lacula will give it to you. Yeah. So anyway, um, here I live in Atlanta, and uh, I live in a five-bedroom house. And um, I, I rent out four rooms. The girls are gone now. And I rent mm-hmm. out four rooms. And um, – uh, I, I make a habit of taking in um, people because I've learned renting rooms all my life um, that uh, the older people who are on Social Security or on uh, uh, fixed income. Senior citizens, the right, fixed incomes. And, and that's a great way, right, to, to kind of meet the need that's out there, like we saw with Maggie calling in, that there are people that have a fixed income, and if there's a will, there's a way. And I love this idea that you're doing, Steve. Thank you. Stick around. I'll I'll try and get back to you because the music kicked in and um, we have to take a quick pause. I'm Rich Valdez. It's America at Night. Open Phone America starts right now. Don't go anywhere.
Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Our telephone number, if you want to join the conversation, 833-482-5537, 833-4-VALDEZ. It's the Friday night uh, uh, edition of the program. Happy to be with you. We're live. We're national. We're taking your calls. I see there's a bunch of calls right now. We're going to get to you momentarily. We've been talking about homelessness uh, for the last half hour And uh, we've got calls from Montana, from Kansas, from Georgia, uh, Michigan, and our buddy in the Philippines. We're going to get to everybody momentarily. Uh, But I just wanted to kind of set the stage for the the rest of the show tonight. I'm keeping you company till 1 a.m. And the the rules are always the same, right? Anything goes. You can talk about anything you like. If you disagree with me, we move you to the front of the line to make sure that you get a chance to be heard with your gripe, your complaint, whatever and what have you. And uh, we're going to continue with our our homeless um, topic, but we also have these other topics that we're going to add for the rest of the hour uh, around uh, the the graduation story where the girl ripped the mic away, plus a really crazy story that came out yesterday, uh, maybe the day before, and it had to do with, I'm just going to share the headline with you, and then I'll get into it a little bit later, but listen to this. Four kids found at a drag queen party with a dead trans woman's body drugs, and sex toys in a hoarder home. That's a real one. Here's another one. Boston police uh, find four children in southern Boston apartment with dead body, drugs, and sex toys. Kids are now in state custody. This is a a story that happened a few days ago, this week. And it's just uh, incredible that this is what's going on. So we're going to talk about that as well. Plus, I have a story that I've been wanting to share with you, and I got to get to it before the, the the week is over of my kids' graduation. It's something that happened toward the end of the year that I want your opinion on as well. But feel free to give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ. We're going to jump into these calls right now. We were on with Steve right before uh, we took a break, and we'd gotten a call uh, from one of our listeners in California who shared that she was homeless, Maggie. And that it was because of financial issues and she'd been priced out of the housing market because she lives on a fixed income. She's a senior citizen and lives on her social security income. And, and this is a difficult thing, but Steve called in with uh, a solution, at least in so much as what he can do in his situation to help Steve, go right ahead. Hey, Hey, thanks for holding me over. So go ahead. Tell us what you do. um, I learned, I learned a little while back that don't, and I hate to say it, but don't, don't, don't rent to couples and don't rent to young people. So um, over time, I sort of mid, I sort of migrated to doing nothing but all people who are on fixed incomes. They're very um, uh, grateful for the housing. It, it's a nice house, it's very well decorated. It's, it's beautiful. And, um, and th- th- they have an opportunity to live here. Like I here in Atlanta where I live, I mean, what I, I charge five forty now it's five sixty. Um, but it, you know, it goes up a little bit depending on, you know, how, you know, whatever. But, um, I just, I just find them so, um, uh, grateful and, and also uh, it's, I enjoy them. I really enjoy them. It brings so much character into the home and, and, and 
I love my relationship with every one of them. And on top of you that, know, Steve, let me just add that, real quick I on that four one. Homeless people. I, I absolutely love uh, talking to senior citizens as well. I, I don't know why. I just find them to be so knowledgeable, so experienced. They have stories for days. They they live the part of life that you've never lived. They they're they're like walking history books, and you can learn so much from them. Go ahead. Yeah, and they're so kind too, uh, and 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 helpful. Like Patty, for instance, she's seventy four, and she she's still moving around and doing. And she she walks my dogs every day, takes out a rent. She takes care of my cats every day, takes out a rent. And then she tries to help out with anything, anything and everything I want or need. She takes care of it. And I, I just, it, you, you, you mm-hmm. can't get that with somebody who's hustling and bustling as a young person, but these older people, they're, they're so yep. willing and able and capable and, and, you know, willing, you know, uh, right. And you know what I love that you actually do this for them, that this is uh, something that you do where you have four rooms in your five bedroom house that you rent out pretty much exclusively to senior citizens on fixed incomes. I think that's such a, a great thing to do because, you know, maybe you knew it, but um, now we all know it, that you're doing your part in making sure that they're not homeless. And uh, I think that's a good thing. Anyway, Steve, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Uh, we will continue with, uh, let's see, where do we go from here? Let's go to Gil. Gil, you know what? The other day, Gil is in Manila, Philippines, listening online, Rich Valdez, com. And Gil, the other day, I was scrolling through social media, through the people that, you know, say mean things to me, like, I can't stand you, blah, blah, blah. And, and then the people that say nice things about me, and I love that. Uh, but one person said, why haven't I heard Gil call into your show? What's going on? So you've got your own fans here on the show. Gil, go right ahead. Oh, I don't know if I'll have any fans left after tonight. But um, I, uh, uh, first of all, uh, one of the reasons I'm here is because it costs about a third to live here compared to most places in the U.S. Uh, that's not California. It costs a lot. It would be a lot more in California. Uh, just one example, we have a four-bedroom house uh, in a uh, kind of a suburb of Manila. It costs me $170 a month for rent. Wow. And our landlord is great. He takes, takes good care of us, and uh, uh, he's a... Uh, He's a real stand-up guy, but uh, we were lucky to find it. I mean, <laughs> you just kind of don't come to a foreign country and uh, and set up housekeeping without knowing uh, what's going on. I had been here working for several years uh, before I retired, so I knew what what was like life was like here and what to expect. Lots of people yeah. come and uh, they're disappointed, but anyhow. Uh, now, when I, are you due in the U.S.? What did I do in the U.S.? No, when are you due to arrive? Um, oh, when do I do to arrive? Well, what, we changed our arrangement uh, October 1. Uh, oh, okay, you're coming in the fall. It's, uh, it's going to work out better for the family, bringing my wife and daughter. All right, so well, I'm looking forward to uh, connecting with you when you do arrive because it's always a pleasure to chat with you. Gil in Manila, Philippines. Thank you, Gil. I appreciate it. Uh, we're going to continue with the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. 833-4-VALDES, 833-4-VALDES. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDES. That's 833-482-5337, 833-482-5337. For Valdez. 
That's Valdez with an S. chant i don't know if you heard it it said we're here we're queer and we're coming for your children now that was at a uh, a pride event uh this week and my thought to that was why on earth would hundreds of people uh celebrating pride lgbtq plus pride s- shout we're here we're queer we're coming for your children play, play it again please That was, you know, to irk people or I, I don't care what you are. If you say you're an astronaut and you're coming for my children, I've got a problem with that, too. Right? I think every parent is going to have a problem when you say you're, I'm coming for your children. Nobody should be coming for anybody's children, period. That's not a thing. Don't come at people's children. You're going to find the worst in that person. I don't understand this. Uh, if anybody knows about this and wants to explain why on earth, they would chant this uh, in unison uh, with hundreds of people gathered, but it doesn't help. It doesn't help at all uh, when you have stories like this one that just came out. Listen to this. And we're going to get back to your calls on homelessness and everything else. But I want you to hear this story. This is uh, the Daily Mail. It's reported all over the place, though. Four kids aged between five years old and 10 years old taken into state care after being found at a drag queen party with a dead trans woman's body on the floor and drugs and sex toys scattered throughout a hoarder home. Fire officials found four children jammed together in a cramped room surrounded by filth and the stench uh, of uh, death permeating the air. The children were reportedly being hidden in a back room by men dressed in women's clothing who were uncooperative and denied having children inside the home. A transgender black woman was pronounced dead at the scene, according to a police report. Four kids, again, aged five to 10 years old. Emergency services found the unidentified woman's body after an unconscious person report was made at 11 a.m. on Saturday morning. They reportedly found six adults who appeared to be men dressed as women inside the home who were uncooperative and denied having any children in the home. The children were found jammed together in a cramped room surrounded by filth, and uh, stenchy air hidden by the men that were wearing wigs. City uh, Council Aaron Murphy told NBC News that the partygoers attempted to stop a responding firefighter from finding the kids. When he opened the door, he saw four children, what I believe were two adults in the back room. 
and it was really disturbing, Murphy told NBC. They just seemed scared. Boston police are classifying the incident as a death investigation resulting from cardiac arrest, and no arrests have been made as of Wednesday. So I'm guessing if there were drugs in a dead person and a cardiac arrest, again, I'm not the coroner, but I'm going to guess somebody took drugs and overdosed. And why they had children and sex toys there, that's the $64 million question. Now, it said there was a lot of hoarding going on. It was a very unclean apartment. Lots of sex toys and drug paraphernalia all over the place. The children were immediately removed from the hazardous environment and transferred to the care of State Protective Services, where medical professionals uh, assess their medical condition. It's unclear what the relationship between these adults and the children uh, found in the apartment was. According to the police report, alcohol and drug consumption was not suspected. However, the dead body, okay, so I was wrong. The dead body was transported to the medical examiner's office, blah, 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 blah. It's not currently known what caused the woman's death. This is sickening, said uh, council uh, person Michael Flaherty to the Boston Herald. I was informed by people at the scene that there were drugs, alcohol, sex toys all around, as well as a dead body on the floor. Flaherty told uh, the, the, the Herald, the woman found on the floor had died from an apparent overdose and that a man wearing a wig claiming to be the father of the kids was found in the back room. All right, so now it's a conflicting report within the report. They're saying one is an overdose. The other one's saying maybe that was an, uh, the initial response. I don't know. Neighbors told NBC News it was traumatic. I can't get out of my head. Nobody else who, who, who could if you saw that. I don't know what transpired there. It's very uncomfortable and unsafe. So a bunch of kids, nobody knows why these little kids, again, these are not teenagers that were getting high with a bunch of drag queens. No, these are five to 10 years old. Let that sink in. Absolutely crazy. This is absolutely crazy to me. Police say the Massachusetts Department of Children and Families was called due to the apartment's condition and uh, they are investigating the incident. Unbelievable. So... The councilman uh, made the assessment that he thought it was an overdose, just like I did, uh, given that there was drug paraphernalia. But again, it hasn't been proven as of yet. Crazy, crazy stuff. Now, you might think that's uh, where it ends. No, there's more. Not in this story, but in another one. But let me give you the phone number. 833-4-VALDES. 833-4-VALDES. I'm going to get to your calls momentarily. I just want to share this one more story with you. This is a crazy one. Former Democrat, who is a transgender state representative and a shocking criminal past, was just arrested on child pornography charges. What does this have to do with the other one? Nothing other than these sick people. And I'm not saying every uh, gay person or drag queen is. I'm saying all the ones in these stories happen to be. And um, they have a thing for kids. And that's sick. And if you listen to the show last night when we re- replayed uh, the interview with Andy Berger, she talked about how from six months old, she was not only abused and raped, she was trafficked. They moved her around and got money from, from her being raped. I mean, just absolutely astonishing. Anyway, former Democrat New Hampshire state representative who identifies as transgender was arrested Thursday for allegedly distributing sexually explicit images of children. A bio, uh, the biological male known as Stacy Marie Lawton identifies as female, was initially elected to the New Hampshire state legislature in 2012, unable to serve due to being 
on probation for a 2008 felony conviction of credit card fraud. The former Democrat uh, representative was faced with several charges, blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's just a slew of things here. Anyway, and then we see the picture. I'm going to tweet this out so you can see it. This is insane. And anybody who wants to play along with this little game that people are playing where they say that this is okay for for this stuff to happen, this, you know, they're wrong. When they start chanting, we're here, we're queer, we're coming for your children, that has to stop. Somebody's got to put an end to that. And I think it's incumbent upon all of us. Anyway, I want to get to your calls very quickly here. Um, let's see. Where do we go? <clears throat> let's see. George, Topeka, Kansas, KMAJ. George, go right ahead. How are you, sir? Wonderful. Thanks. What's your initial uh, reaction to the story I just uh, shared with you on the uh, the kids being found around that dead body? Uh, well, uh, pride comes before the fall. Yeah. Yeah. Well said, George. Now, I know you wanted to talk about uh, your your endeavors with homeless people. Go right ahead. Yeah, I'll try to be quick here. Um, one quick thing, kick back to, um, I believe it was Steve, um, the man that owns the rental properties in Atlanta. Yeah. And while I do agree with most of those points, the one thing I do disagree with is if we kind of, if he's not going to rent to younger couples, they're just going to turn into bitter old people. So it's a little bit short-sighted to only, you know, go after the fixed income, older generation as a business move. I'm sure it's more savvy, but and what's your interaction with homeless people? Um, so, so I'm just a uh, middle-class. I own a small painting business, um, family man. Um, my shop is in uh, a part of town. We have a lot of homeless people, um, in the city and I, I feel like we can't paint them with such a broad brush and I hate to use the word them, but it, yeah. what, what I feel like what a lot happens, the two, main fact well one main factor is methamphetamines yeah i run into all the time i've been i've been there two years now um at first you know it it was uh prostitution methamphetamines beggars or thieves that's all i dealt with and then over time over the uh people started realizing okay he's not going to just give me you know he's not interested in this so yeah it became george i I gotta run the music means we gotta go but i appreciate it uh hopefully we'll get a chance to talk again soon Folks, continue with you straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ. We will be right back. So welcome back. I want to talk about graduation a little bit, and we'll continue our discussions with homelessness and all of that. But I want to talk about everything under the sun. But I want to zone in in particular on graduations, right? There was a story earlier this week out of Philly. Big shout out to Philly. And um, I thought it was uh, uncalled for. A young lady receives her degree and, and did a dance. And 
apparently they were warned if you do any type of dance on the way to receive your your diploma you, you'll be reprimanded or you won't get it or something like that or uh, whatever what have you but she she did this dance and apparently it was a cultural thing and and they when she put her hand out to receive her degree when her name was called they didn't give it to her now i thought to myself i think that's a stupid rule i see people do things like this all the time they strut they move here they move there they blow kisses they take a bow people do their graduation walk like who are you to police these people uh, i mean really it's they earned the degree yeah you can't how much control are we going to have over people i don't know and i just thought if that was my kid Oh, boy. Anyway, here's the news report. She stole that moment from me. I will never get that again. Hafsa Abdur Rahman cried tears of humiliation instead of joy at her high school graduation on June 9th. The 17-year-old says the principal warned students their families could not cheer or clap when they walk on stage. And I understood the rules, so I was telling in the video, I'm like, she, like, do not say nothing because I want my diploma. I knew and understood what we were supposed to do. In this video, you can see Abdur Rahman dance across the stage. <laughs> and then hear the response from the crowd. She says because they laughed, the principal told her she could not receive her diploma. If they thought that I shouldn't like do the gritty across the stage and do the girls' high traditions, nobody should have been able to wave or blow kisses or do period signs because I feel like that's the same thing. So I just thought it was really unfair. Abdur Rahman says she's not alone. Three other girls did not get their diplomas on stage, but all of them did after the ceremony. The school district of Philadelphia said in a statement, quote, the district does not condone the withholding of earned diplomas based on family members cheering for their graduates. We apologize to all the families and graduates who were impacted and are further looking into this matter to avoid it happening in the future. Although Abdur Rahman wishes she had a better experience, she and her mother hope school leaders learned a valuable lesson. It's 2023. A lot has happened. These girls went through COVID together. I understand traditions and rules are set you know, in place for a reason, and we're not saying that they should be broken, but it might need to be revised also. I saw this video, and honestly, it broke my heart. I thought, unbelievable. Who are these academic administrators? That this girl very innocently, happily took her thing. She understood that her family couldn't make noise, so they tell their family, you can't clap for me. How crazy is that? I just want you to say, half the reason I have a sore throat right now is because I was screaming like a savage beast at my daughter's graduation. That's what I do. I go hard, right? I represent for my family. And, and I just, um, I, I can't believe that we're not allowed to celebrate the successes of our children and that she did. And again, you can't see the video, so you lose a lot of context in a report like that. But I got to say, this girl did a very innocent. There was nothing crazy. You know, it, it was some sort of cultural thing with her her, her family traditions. Uh, it, it was about six or seven seconds worth of, of, you know, she didn't stop anything. She didn't interrupt anything. It was on her way to get the diploma. And then they dissed her and didn't give her the diploma. I think it's absolutely insane. Now, I bring this up because my kid had a graduation this week. But Last week, she decided to join 25 of her peers in the senior prank. And this is where uh, I know the lines are full, but give us a call. I really want your opinion on this as well. So my kid, who's uh, not too, you know, um, Apple didn't fall far from the tree, like they say. Um, I was a wise guy in high school. She, um, she joins this fifth period walkout. They walk out. They went into their cars. It was just seniors. And they drove around the school honking their horns as part of their senior prank. The school took exception to this 
and reprimanded them, which they should, right? I mean, you, you pay the price for senior pranks. You, you um, Although senior cut day when I was a senior, um, nobody got in trouble for that. But irrespective, you know, you do the crime, you got to do the time. I get that. But what's interesting here is if you cut a full day of school, you, you don't get suspended or anything. You, you know, you get detention. And they sent, they call your parents and they're like, hey, you didn't show up at school. But cutting after fifth period, you're never going to guess what they got. You think they got a, a note sent home. You think they got maybe half a day of in-school suspension or detention for two days or three days or a week of detention. No, no, it wasn't that. It wasn't two days of in-school suspension or three days of in-school suspension. It was not a full day of out-of-school suspension. It wasn't two days of out-of-school suspension. It was three days of out-of-school suspension during finals week. The school decided to suspend my kid and 24 other kids for what they called in a letter sent to me for group cutting. Now, listen, I think hold them accountable. Yes, a three-day suspension is what you get for fist fighting at school. I'm not that old, right? I don't know. You let me know. Am I overreacting because it's my kid? Or uh, are they overreacting because these kids played a simple prank? Let me know. 833-4-VALDEZ. 833-4-VALDEZ. Taking your calls on that and everything else straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Welcome back. Let's uh, get to these calls. We got lots of lots of people. We're going to do the speed around here. Keep it really quick so everybody gets a turn. Let's go to Lansing, Michigan. W-I-L-S. Ken, go right ahead quickly. Good evening. Great show. I heard you say something about uh, we're here, we're queer, and we're coming after your children. You know, as yep. adults, you know, I don't give a damn what adults do inside your house. That's your business. But when you parade down streets and say that you're coming after my children, you have crossed the line, and whatever happens to you happens to you if you ever come near my children. So I'm just going to put it that way. Yep, at your own risk. I'm with you, Ken. I got your back on that one 100%. Uh, I can't think of a law in the world where you're not allowed to defend your children. That's absolute insanity, and I, I, I'm glad that nobody took it the wrong way that day and went that, you know, took it to another level because uh, that, that, I was incensed watching that stuff. Anyway, thank you, Ken. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the show, and thanks for the compliment. Let us continue. Let's see. Where do we go? Let's. The next part of the country we visit is Pittsburgh, one of our favorites, KDKA. Diana, go right ahead. Hi. Um, I just have a question. When I was listening, I heard a 74-year-old woman who was homeless, not enough money on Social Security, and it, and it crossed my mind, and I know there's a lot of people out there that have psychological issues, but like, where are the families? Where, where do you have brothers? Right. Do you have sisters? Do you have cousins? I, I yeah. don't, 
You know, I, I think I, I, I agree with you. I think part of what happens is, and I could tell you, my dad, right? My dad died at 80 years old and he did died with his family, with me. But I can tell you that my dad's one of 12 siblings and um, he hadn't been in touch with them in years. I mean, many years. So I, I know that people, especially as they get older, they die. Family members die. They become kind of, um, you know, um, disparate, if you will, and they become estranged. And and lamentably, uh, that's that's how it goes sometimes. And it's it's very unfortunate. And uh, it really t- this opened my eyes um, to to a, a bigger problem. Thank you so much for the call, Diana. Big shout out to everybody in Pittsburgh on KDKA. Love that. Uh, let us continue. Let's go to Joe, Lake of the Ozarks, Missouri, KRMS. Go right ahead quickly. Thank you. I will try to do this quickly. But as far as homelessness goes, because I've heard different comments over the years, not everybody is homeless because they're deadbeats. Not everybody who is homeless is a bad person. Many years ago, I worked for a large company whose name shall remain nameless. Yeah. But my job with this company was asset protection. And I had been sent into this particular location because they had a quarter of a million dollars shrink and they couldn't figure out why. So it was my job to protect the assets of the company. And in doing so, I realized that in the tree line behind this company, there was a homeless camp. Wow. So, and that you were their go-to. Well, as it turns out, and this was back in the early 90s, I probably should have been more concerned, but back in the day when I was much younger... You know, I was fearless. And so I marched my happy little self back there. And I'm here to tell you, my takeaway from them was I felt honored and humbled. They quickly cleaned a milk crate for me to sit on. They offered me coffee. And what I always have prayed was a clean soup can. But I took their coffee. I sat. I got to know them. They were African-American Vietnam veterans. Wow. You know, let me share with you, Joe. Once, this is a true story. <clears throat> I was running late to get home. I was leaving my job in Manhattan, and I, I wanted to get on the bus. And I think at the time, the bus was a dollar or $2 or $3. It was something and 75 cents. And I remembered, um, so I put my hand in my pocket, and I was one, two, three. And I, I, I thought I had three quarters, but it ended up having like a quarter, a dime, and a nickel. And so I was short. And I was like, damn, am I gonna, if I run to the ATM, I'll lose my spot in line. I was like, I'm going to make a plea to the to the bus driver and just tell him, sorry, man, I thought I had three quarters. I'll give it to you tomorrow. You know, it's whatever. It's a couple of cents. But a guy comes up to me with a cup, homeless guy, and he's like, hey, do you have any spare change? And I said, bro, I wish I had spare change. I'm short. I can't even get on the bus. And he was like, oh, really? And he put his hand inside his cup, and he gave me what I needed to get on the bus. And I was like, you don't have to do that. I'm sure this guy will let me on. He was like, no, nah, man. He's like, right now, you need it more than me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what a good guy. And I said, if I ever see you again, I'm going to take care of you. Uh, I didn't ever see him again, uh, and I wish I, I could have. But the next homeless person I found, I did everything I could to help him. But you're right. Just because you're homeless doesn't make you uh, a degenerate in, in any way. Um, most of these people are, are great people that are just, you know, fell out of luck or got into addiction or, or have undiagnosed mental health issues. And it's really unfortunate. Thank you for the call, Joe. I appreciate it. I'm going to keep it moving. Let's go to Matt, Moorhead City, North Carolina, WTKF. Go right ahead. Hello, Rich. Nice to talk to you again. Um, yes, sir. I'm 80 miles north of there. That's the matter. To get right Quickly. to the point, Stephen Atlanta, I heard while I was on hold, he's doing the right thing. I don't care who wants to denigrate him. 
I've always been a fan of Gil in the Philippines. Yeah. He's got a fan right here. My point <laughs> is, I could fix most of America's problems, but it's not easy. It starts yeah, like this, and I end it. Throw the entire Biden crime family out of the White House, including the vice president, and it's a good start. And if, if Trump stops, stops attacking his enemy to talk about what he's going to do, you just do it. I hope he hears me right now. I agree with you. I think it's a great start. I hope that uh, we can continue on that line. Uh, there's been a lot of controversy with the impeachment stuff because uh, some saying it's extra constitutional and they're just going outside of the, the, the committee work that they should be doing. But uh, I think the goal is right, even if um, the way we're getting there is wrong. And hopefully we, we can straighten that out very quickly. But, yeah, getting rid of Biden, definitely a step in the right direction. Thank you, my brother. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Let us continue here. Let me see. Where do I want to go? Linda, Albany, New York, WGDJ. Go right ahead. Oh, thanks for taking my call. Yes, the discipline was way too much, and it's too bad in a way they couldn't have turned the prank around and, let's say, announced that maybe they uh, collected X number of pounds of clothes, for instance, for a homeless person, done Mm. something really positive. You're right. You're right. And listen, I, you know, I was the first one to say, I think the prank was silly and it was dumb. But again, these are high school kids. And, um, you know, they, they were trying to do something silly with their senior prank. So I get it. They should have paid the price. But I agree with you. I think three days of out of school suspension during finals week where they had to come back and take their finals on different days because um, they were busy being suspended, which even out of school suspension as a discipline, uh, I think is, is really not a great reprimand. Right. It's like, hey, you did bad. We're going to let you stay home and sleep late and whatever. It's just, it doesn't make sense. But thank you, Linda. I appreciate it. We're going to continue with the rest of your calls. Let us go over here. Where do we go? Where do we go? Let's go to Steve, Cleveland, Ohio, W-E-O-L. Go right ahead. Hey, Rich. Easy listening to the night. Friday did a good job this week. So Thank you, brother. Made it to the end of the week. Thank um, God my voice held in there. <laughs> Here's a little different graduation. Um, it took me two years to graduate because um, I had a mom that uh, mom and dad just basically took care of you. And, you know, uh, if I would have listened to them, yeah, I could have did better. But I did okay. Uh, went to vocation school, you know, trade school. Yeah. And uh, my attendance teacher, uh, I worked in the attendance office, so my attendance teacher was my history teacher. Okay. And my uh, shop teacher was my homeroom teacher. So I would write myself out from sixth to ninth period in the afternoon, and I'd get the teacher to sign it. So through the whole year, my homeroom teacher asking me, are you going to be here in the afternoon? Uh, Yes, sir. I wrote myself out, and I wasn't there. So (laughs) he funked me the very last day. I'm there on the last day pleading for please. Yeah. Well, because, you know, I could write myself out. But the other thing yeah. was, being a, being the school it was, 15, 16, and 17, we were allowed to smoke outside. And uh, go figure that, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. And uh, Man, everybody, started. let me tell you, Steve, so, everybody was smoking outside of my high school as well. And uh, we had a similar thing going on. If we were late, we would get detention. However, they'd put your name on the detention list, and they would bring the detention list for attendance to the detention room. And that room would be unattended. And we figured out that if people were like sent home sick or excused for some reason, their accounting system was very simple. Your name would be crossed out 
on the attendance list for detention. So we figured out really early that if, if you're late, you could just go into the detention room, cross your name off the list, and then nobody cared if you showed up at detention or not. We did that forever until my buddy did get caught. And then he got, uh, I think, uh, two days of out of school, uh, in-school suspension. That was torture because you had to show up for school and be in this isolated room. That was terrible. But, yeah, we did lots of crazy things in high school. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate the call. More calls from the rest of America, Arizona, Missouri, Montana, Ohio, South Carolina. Coming right now. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Let's go to Renee, Tucson, Arizona, KNST. Go right ahead. Hi, Rich. I love your show. I just wanted to say a couple things. Um, It's Friday night, so I want to try and keep it light. About your daughter, I think you should sue the school for damages and demand (laughs) a trophy for participation. And you were asking last night about um, how many tiers of, um, uh uh-oh, how many there are in the legal American legal system. And I, yeah. I think there are five. Uh, one for the poor, one for the rich, one for the infinitely rich, four for the Republicans, and five for the communists. <laughs> if there's any justice at all. Excellent point. Thank you, Renee. I appreciate your kind words, and thanks for listening. In Tucson, Arizona, KNST, let us go now to Newton Falls, Ohio, WNIR. Maureen, go right ahead. Welcome. Hi, Mr. Rich Valdez. This is Maureen. I'm calling because I was listening to the homeless issue that you were discussing, and American families are really tough on uh, Americans, the normal people that are born here in America. And um, we have extended problems, like I came to Newton Falls uh, to see my dad, and I wanted to live with my dad. I was in my 60s by then. And um, he was remarried to someone, and I couldn't do it. So I found a roommate as a veteran, and I live here in Newton Falls now. But the part I was going to tell you is that I grew up some time of my life in Puerto Rico. And oh, nice. um, my dad was a designer, so we went there, you know, to Ponce. And um, I had my first boyfriend was Puerto Rican. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, they're so lovely. I mean, they're not like uh, a normal, hardcore American people. And um, I just, I, you know, I heard your show and I thought, wait till I get to tell him this, you know. like That's really um, cool. You know, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, island culture is something else. It's really about, you know, let's dance, let's drink, let's have a good time and uh, let's love on each other. Thank you, Maureen. I appreciate it. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, take care, good night, and God bless. I am Rich Valdez. We're going to do it all again on Monday, but we'll have a couple of replays over the weekend. And on this station, you don't want to move a muscle because there's more to come straight ahead. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.